Welcome to episode four of the Lunchtime Layup podcast, back after a week break, and we are back to talk about hoops with you. So I'm once again joined by these three handsome men. Let's go left to right. Thomas. Hi, everybody. Hi, this is Warren. It's Cam here. And we're back. So we're going to talk about some hoops. So let's start off with the Lakers. That's the... uh, the subject we've decided to start off with, in case you missed it yesterday, the Lakers beat the Nuggets. Uh, it was a pretty cool game. I rewatched the extended highlights of the game. And uh, the game ended with some pretty funny um, Jamal Murray sucks chance, which in case you don't know, under, don't understand why that, that happened, it was earlier on in the season when um, he dribbled around Lonzo. When the uh, when the Nuggets uh, had already essentially won the game, he just dribbled around Lonzo. And it, it's one of those unwritten rules in basketball that you don't really do that. And he did. And it was... Kind of a dick move, and then now the Lakers kind of took revenge, and, and the entirety of the Staples Center was just kind of just yelling at him, saying and he sucks. So the Lakers have actually been playing really well. They have a 31 and 36 record, so I'll pass it off to Thomas if you want to take it over and talk to us a little bit about what's going on here with the Lakers. I know it's probably not the funnest team to be uh, <laughs> watching, but recently they have been pretty cool, so let's the talk Lakers about The Lakers are the it. most fun team in Los Angeles. It's always fun to talk about them. Um, a big turning point for the Lakers was actually Lonzo getting getting hurt. And uh, in place, you have the lanky, soon-to-be Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram, uh, took over a lot of ball-handling responsibilities in that time. Uh, Warren, I think you are more uh, in tune with just how well they've been doing uh, statistically as a team. So I'm going to hand that over to you, run, run that through real quick. For sure. And actually, a lot of things changed at the deadline as well when they got rid of some bodies and you know they had a really crowded rotation I think a lot of guys didn't know their roles but uh, with Larry Nance out of the picture uh, we are seeing Kyle Kuzma Julius Randle these guys are playing 40 minutes every night and it's just about time like these guys were clearly the most talented uh, three four guys on the team and Luke Walton was just finding an excuse to play Corey Brewer over Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers front office has just gotten rid of every toy for uh, Luke Walton to use except for the ones that he should have been using all along and uh, we're really seeing it uh, pan out right now Isaiah Thomas is also uh, quietly starting to play like he did last year uh, last night uh, he shot a lot seven for 19 but 23 points off the bench and he's just been a spark for them and he got a lot of hockey assists too so he only had two assists but he's just making the team better he was a plus 15 and they've been pretty much unstoppable at home lately and uh it's just fun to see, and I guess, Cam, I'll ask you, um, given the way this team is playing, and it is uh, a very dominant brand of basketball lately, surprisingly, they've had a lot of very impressive wins, including a blowout of OKC. Um, if this core comes back and we have guys like Lonzo, Isaiah, uh, KCP, Kuzma, and Randall playing in this role that they're playing in right now, is this a team that could make the playoffs next year, even if they don't get another superstar? Um, I think that you you have to give them a decent shot at that, um, especially you know the the early season struggles that Lonzo had were were more than well documented, um, and you know I think that bringing somebody in who who's going to be your your main ball handler is going to take some time to incorporate, no matter what team you're on, regardless of whether they're a rookie or not, and adding in the fact that he he is a rookie makes it all the more all the much more difficult um so i think that you know their early season struggles you can attribute a lot to that and i think that they are starting to come around the way that you say another thing is that um they are one of the best teams against the spread in the league like you said ferris their their record isn't great overall um 
But if you look at their record against the spread, that gives you a better idea of how they're performing relative to how they're expected to perform, at least in Vegas's eyes. And they have one of the best plus minuses against the spread in the league with Toronto and Utah. So they're one of the, the most criminally underrated teams, at least in the eyes of, of bookmakers, which a team like the Lakers normally never is because they're a big market team and because they're going to get a lot of action regardless. Normally the lines are a lot tighter on them. And so the fact that they're still able to, to be one of the best teams against the spread, I think actually shows a lot for the development of the team. Yeah, and I also kind of wanted to shout out Julius Randle because I have a bit of a man crush on Julius Randle. I happen to believe As you that, should. Yeah, he's a wonderful player. And I, th- I thought that the Lakers were really misusing him. And um, this whole talk of like filling in two max contracts, going after Paul George and LeBron and Boogie and Anthony Davis and all the superstars that you could name kind of made it seem like Julius Randle was not necessarily unwanted but was going to be part of the collateral because they probably wouldn't have been able to afford to re-sign him. But he has been playing so well not only as a starting four, but also as a, um, a small ball five. He is, I think he's probably one of the more versatile players in that lineup. And I think that the front court potential of Ingram at the three, Kuzma at the four, and Randall playing as a small ball five gives them like so many, so many more options and versatility up front. Ingram is a great shooter, a great offensive player. Like Thomas mentioned, he's kind of like a great value brand version of Kevin Durant. And then Randall blossoming uh, is just, it's, I wouldn't say it's unexpected, but it's like it's really nice to see because now it gives them an, a wanted headache, a good problem to have in that you have a lot of really good front court players. And if they're able to, I mean, we keep talking, everyone keeps talking about them getting LeBron or them getting Paul George or them trading for Kawhi Leonard or whatever the situation is. I think that I, I don't like you for saying that. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I think that I just think Randall's an incredible player, and I think that I'm I'm very happy that he's finally like really blossoming into the player he deserves to be. And if the Lakers get rid of him, I think that at least a third, if not half, the league should be like right on the Lakers' coattails to try to get him. And I know Warren has some stats to back me up on this, so I'm not just spewing nonsense. Yeah, I agree. Julius Randall this entire year has been putting up incredible numbers per 36, and now he's actually getting to play these 36 minutes and. In the month of March so far, he is averaging 23 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and he's doing it on 60% shooting. And he's just so good at putting his head down, getting to the basket, drawing contact, and either finishing at the rim or getting fouled. Or Recently, it's just been both. He's just been dominant. And um, another thing you mentioned, Cam, was um, Lonzo Ball's ball handling. And I think Isaiah Thomas has actually done a good job of taking some pressure off of Ball and you know, if he's struggling, it allows him to play off ball a little bit. And he brings so much to the table that even though he doesn't have a great jump shot yet, it's starting to get better. But he's still so valuable to have on the court. And as you saw last night, uh, he went two for 11, but was still a plus 18, uh, had multiple blocks and steals, a bunch of rebounds, a bunch of assists. So uh, this is a really fun team blossoming in L.A. And it, it was kind of cool to watch Isaiah Thomas uh, have a big game against Cleveland the other day and uh, kind of just prove a point to them that maybe you know, there's still some stuff left in the bag. I mean, he was 11 games away from uh, getting MVP chance the season before. So I think there's a lot of talent here, and it is uh, it is an exciting thing to see because the Lakers have some of the best fans in the NBA, and they they're, it's just better when the Lakers are in the playoffs. And kind of transitioning on from the Lakers, the Western Conference playoff picture is absolutely bananas right now. There's I think it's a four-way tie for the 7th and 8th seed 
in the um, in the Western Conference. The Spurs, Nuggets, uh, the Jazz are up there now. The Clippers are also all just in an absolute dogfight for the last two uh, playoffs. I don't have a stat on this, but I I honestly can't remember a point this late in the season in recent memory where you, there's literally been like eight teams that yeah. can switch seeds. I mean, anywhere from from Denver sitting at ten to Portland, that's yeah. that's four games. Any of the, that's four games. Any of those seeds are up for grabs. Yeah, and any if, and all of them. And if you look at the Eastern Conference, it's the exact opposite. Like the eight that will make the playoffs are more or less locked in. Now it just depends on seeding. But in the West, there's still so many questions unanswered. Like, will the Spurs miss the playoffs for the first time in eighteen thousand years? Or like, are the Jazz, who are expected to not be good after losing Gordon Hayward, going to somehow make the playoffs and squeeze in as an eight seed, a seven seed? The Clippers, who traded half their team, now they they find themselves in the playoffs, in the seven seed. And heck, I'm I'm a big fan of the Denver Nuggets team. I think that they're an incredibly fun team to watch. And they're right now they're stuck outside the playoffs, and they have some incredible players. And all these games are just so important, and it's such an incredibly tight race that, like you mentioned, if you told me right now that the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler missed the playoffs, I would 100% believe you. But if you also told me that Portland would go on a five-game losing streak and fall to the ninth seed, I don't think anyone could realistically say that you're wrong because it's just so tight. And I don't know how realistic any of these teams beating the big dogs is, but I do know that the three versus six and the four versus five matchup in the Western Conference is going to be incredibly entertaining. At the very least. So we actually have someone who's in on this playoff race. We have someone who has very emotionally invested. Who has a dog invested in this race. So let's go, Thomas. Let's give us a lowdown on why the Spurs are great. Well, so we all know after last night when the Spurs returned to their dominant form and beat the Orlando Magic 108-72 to uh, that they're obviously going to make the playoffs based off that one game sample size. And there should be no doubt at all that that's the case. But honestly, they probably are going to miss the playoffs for the first time in 20 <laughs> years, and it, it breaks my heart to say that. Uh, but then we'll also win the lottery, and it's it's okay that way too. Um, looking at the the bottom of the standings, though, and just who they're kind of going up against, uh, Utah's defense has been historically great in the run that they've put on, and I would be shocked to see them slip out of the picture. Um, that's been... Over, over the course since Gobert got back, that's been a sustainable thing for them, the level of defensive play that they've had. Uh, a lot of the other things that have happened have been kind of not anomalies, not to say Anthony Davis playing good basketball is an anomaly, but dropping 42 and 15 on a consistent basis, that's tough to do. Uh, and I don't think that team can continue to win if he doesn't continue to do that. So I would say that New Orleans is probably going to be one of the ones that slips out. I agree with you that Denver is a super fun team to watch. Uh, there's a lot of players on there that I think are either underrated or misrated uh, a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I would have I would have Pelicans dropping out. I, I, my heart says to say the Spurs should go in, but I, I think they're going to end up missing it too. So uh, I guess that leaves me when I have Pelicans out, Spurs out, Denver stays out. Denver goes in. Denver goes in. I was like, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, need to put one of these teams say, in. Someone has to replace them. I was like, yeah, the, the math has to check out on that one. Uh, yeah, Denver Denver goes in, and Pelicans drop out. I, I'm going to completely agree with that if for different reasons. Um, I I just I don't I don't know how long Anthony Davis can do it for. I mean, he's he's shown that he can be an MVP caliber player in this league. I just don't know if he can carry them the rest of the way. Um, the Pelicans 
are tied with the Spurs for the second hardest schedule left in the West. Um, so that that certainly doesn't help the case, and that's part of why also, too, I was going to mention it for the Spurs. Um, especially being on the outside looking in for them, I, I think it's going to be really hard for them. Um, New Orleans is at least in a spot where they're a game and a half inside the playoffs. Um, and while that isn't a lot of room, it's, it's better to not have to jump all the teams like the Spurs do. Um, I, I agree. I definitely think it's going to be those two, unfortunately, so Spurs, for, for Spurs Utah. Have a, Spurs have a tough schedule moving forwards. And uh, even if you get Kawhi back, honestly, he's going to be on a minutes limit. He's going to be rusty. He's, it's just not, it's not going to pan out. Uh, well for them in my opinion I said on the last pod too that I could I could see them missing it and beating the magic aside I mean just uh, to be clear as well that the the Pelicans had the fourth strongest uh, opponent schedule remaining left in the west the Spurs uh, was third in the west but also third in the league so I mean it's going to be I hate to do this to you, Thomas. It's okay, I'm sorry. Man. There's there's an LCBO just down the road. <laughs> <laughs> there's ways to cope. Okay, well, Thomas, uh, I'm going to help you feel a little bit better. Oh, uh, you're my favorite person on this podcast. Great. Uh, that's all. That's the only reason I said that. Ferris is very upset right now. He's giving Demarcus Cousins like facial expressions. It's going to be okay, Ferris. <laughs> um, but I think if Kawhi comes back within the next week, I think the Spurs are going to be fine. And I think one thing that's been very prevalent with the Spurs is the fact that they're 24-8 and eight at home. They play five straight games on their home court coming up, and uh, two of them are against, uh, first of all, right up next is against New Orleans, a team they're chasing, against Minnesota, a team they're chasing. And I don't see the Spurs losing either of those games. And I think that actually the t- those two teams that they're going to beat, I think New Orleans and Minnesota are the two that are going to fall out because uh, Minnesota, they're kind of hanging on by the uh, the, the skin of their teeth for the last playoff spot. I mean, without Jimmy Butler, this team is just not good. And I know they've won two in a row, but uh, this is a, a sinking ship. What, you're telling me you uh, you don't trust Derrick Rose to lead you to the promised land anymore? I, I do not. And uh, I missed his uh, immaculate debut where he played seven minutes. And <laughs> I read on Twitter that it was the worst seven minutes played in, in NBA history uh, to the point where he didn't even play in the second half. And so I guess that tweet was valid because Tom Thibodeau agreed. Yeah, if Thibodeau doesn't play you, it means something's, something's not going well. Or it just means you're not in his five people that he yeah. wants to play for 45 <laughs> minutes and he just forgot you exist. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, I think Portland, OKC, those two teams aren't falling out. Clippers, they're playing great basketball. I don't see them falling out. They're too deep of a team. Uh, Utah, they've won 19 of 21 games and are just ridiculous right now. I don't see any reason to believe that this is not sustainable at this point. Obviously, they're not a 19-2 and two type of team, but they're not a team that's just going to suddenly start losing. Um Denver is going to be interesting. I know they have Millsap back, but he really hasn't been that impressive so far. But I really think Denver had to win that game last night in Los Angeles. But I still think they have the talent to get in. And I think that Minnesota and New Orleans are going to be losing games down the stretch. And I think that they have the opportunity to sneak in. So if they take care of business, I think they will get in that last spot. But, yeah, so I'm going with the 5 and 6 seed, both slipping out of the playoffs. It's a bold take, and we'll keep track, and we'll make fun of each other in my, April when we're my all My favorite part of that prediction is that it would mean a, a Houston versus San Antonio first-round matchup, and then when San Antonio beats Houston, I'll just be the happiest person in all the world, except maybe Shea Serrano. He might be a little happier. <laughs> but. 
I kind of want to talk about the Trailblazers and the fact that they've been ridiculously good for the last 10 to 12 games, especially Damian Lillard, who's averaging 32, 6, and 4 in 37 minutes in his last 10 games. They are now the three seed. Uh, I don't know what I like. This team is just so fun to watch. Like they have such an, a horrible wing situation that it doesn't make sense that a team could be this good. Evan Turner, Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless are all like one variation of the same type of really frustrating wing player, and they're taking up like a third of their cap space. So it's a poorly built team on paper. But then again, you have Damian Lillard who is playing like a god, CJ McCollum who is being incredibly efficient. He's probably one of the most incredible uh, efficient scoring options in the NBA in the last like ten to fifteen games. And then you have uh, good old Yusuf Nurkic who kind kind of woke up sort of in the last game against Miami. He's been averaging. In and around like 10 and 10 for the last couple games, but then he went off against Miami, 10, uh, 27 and 16. If they can get him playing at the level he was playing at last season after they acquired him, they can really do some damage in the playoffs. And uh, as it stands, they'd be playing the Timberwolves, who are the sixth seed. That would be an incredibly fun series to watch. I know we just kind of bashed the Timberwolves, said that they would slip out of the playoffs. And without Jimmy Butler, I'm not sure how realistic their chances are of winning anything. But... <clears throat> Even if it was the Pelicans that dropped down a bit, if the Clippers moved up to the sixth seed, if Utah continued being red hot and they moved into the sixth seed and um, Portland stayed put in the third seed, I still think that any of those teams would make for an incredibly enticing and fun to watch first round. And here, my my thing with the, the Trailblazers is that I kind of describe them as a Walmart brand version of the Houston Rockets. In the, in the sense that they've got two incredible guards who can both handle the ball. Damian Lillard and James Harden is like a pretty obvious comparison. And I'm not saying CJ McCollum is Chris Paul. I'm just saying he's another guard who's good. And they just, like those guys, the system is essentially run through those guys and their ability to hit deep shots and get into ISO motions on offense. And Nurkic has struggled, as mentioned. But if, like I said, if Nurkic is able to wake up and play close to the level he was playing at last season when he was averaging like 20 and 15 for a month, then I think that they can win a round, probably even push a second round if they end up playing Golden State or if they end up playing Houston. They could probably push them to, I don't know, maybe five, six games. I think that this Portland Trailblazers team is really interesting. I kind of see some head shaking going on here, Cam. No, no? I, I was nodding. Oh, you were nodding. It's <laughs> all right. We can... go, go, go to Warren. Warren yeah. looks like he, he has some, something to say about you. I was head shaking a little, but it's not to discount everything that's been happening. It's more so to discount the fact that I still don't believe in Portland as a team that can uh, make headwaves in the playoffs. I have said in previous podcasts that I do believe they're the type of team that will steal a game or two at home against against the best, potentially, if Lillard and CJ are hot. But uh, you mentioned the Walmart brand version of Houston, and I know I'm not going to take that too literally what you said, but uh, the difference here is that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum Combined average the same amount of assists per game as James Harden. So uh, the problem is that these two guys are great scorers. They're great in isolation, but they don't make everyone around them better. And it's hard to make Al Farouk Aminu better. It's hard to make Evan Turner better. Uh, he was featured in Game of Zones from the mid-range distance. And uh, one guy I like on that team actually is Shabazz Napier. But I think this team, I think their roles are just too much... Uh, about, or I guess Lillard and McCollum's rules are just too much about creating their own shot. And if they're on, they win. If they're off, they lose. And lately, they've both been phenomenal. But this team reminds me a lot of the Raptors teams from a year or two ago, where if it if Dame and CJ aren't scoring, uh, this team isn't winning. And it kind of reminds me of the same vibe where 
Uh, Lowry and DeRozan would have to carry the load every single night. And in the playoffs, when uh, defenses start trapping, competition gets tougher, uh, it starts uh, becoming Al Farouk Aminu needing to hit open threes, uh, being forced by traps and double teams. And we've seen the Clippers do that against them two years ago. And I remember Aminu took over 10 threes in a game, and I'm pretty sure he only hit two of them. But he was wide open for all of them. Like So teams are basically going to make the other guys beat them, and I just don't think they have enough depth. Uh, to beat other the, teams. The ball looks genuinely terrified when it comes out of Aminu's hands. It's like it's not sure where it's going or why it's going there. <laughs> um, you kind of mentioned Toronto. I do want to talk about the Raptors. Uh, nine straight win yesterday against the uh, the Nets, against uh, D'Angelo's incredibly hot first quarter, and then also D'Angelo's incredibly D'Angelo next three quarters of just like three points. Um the Raptors are just insane. They're just so fun to watch, and they're so good. Um, 50 and 17, first place in the Eastern Conference. They have the first seed as of right now. Uh, if the playoffs, if the playoffs started today, they'd be playing Miami, I believe. And I don't know. I'm very against this whole betting against LeBron thing. As everyone here is very aware, I will never bet against LeBron until I see him lose before the finals. But I don't know, and I kind of want to open the floor up to this question: Has a team as good as the Raptors ever appeared? in front of LeBron since his move to Miami. Uh, the only thing I can kind of think of was, I don't want to say the big three Celtics because they were old, they were on the downswing there. I kind of want to say the Indiana Pacers are probably the team that gave him the most the most problems, that Danny Granger, Paul George, Roar Hibbert, super versus, like super long team. But I don't know. I think the Raptors are probably one of the toughest teams he'll have to come up against in his career in the East. Pre-injury Derrick Rose. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, yeah. I mean, I still think that... <clears throat> Um, the the big three Boston. I still think that that game six performance by him it was like thirty six fifteen and twelve or something like that. Um, when he pulled them back out of that two three hole, I guess. Um, against the Celtics, I I think that they were because even though they were out of their primes, they were all still you know all star ish caliber players and also had the experience of already winning a championship together um so i i don't think that you can take them lightly as an opponent that he's had to go up against the raptors i while i do definitely notice the changes that they've made this year i still don't at the end of the day it comes down to derozan and lowry performing in the playoffs because that i mean their bench can be great and that's great but at the end of the day the lineup that is going to be played in crunch time has to be better so it's not even strictly just that i mean it's in part that absolutely if your best players don't play like your best players you're not going to go very far but it's the way that they decide to perform as their best players that's going to make the real difference if derozan decides to revert back to taking you know mid-2000s kobe jumpers that's not going to go too well for them but if there's a continued emphasis on ball movement uh, on actually taking three-pointers that'll that'll pan out uh, better for them and the other thing is on Dwayne Casey actually using the full rotation that he has available to him right the Raptors best best asset is really the depth that they have I don't think there's really another team in the east that could say they have as much depth uh, through the NBA who can say that yeah probably not two starting lineups yeah Uh, so I mean if you don't use that and you just kind of go back to going playing your top seven or whatever I think that's that's going to be really what decides whether or not they actually they actually progress through these playoffs. Um, but 
I, I said it, how many weeks ago was that? Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I called them to come out of the East and beat the Cavs. Um, and I, I stand by that. I stand by that. I think that the changes are not just uh, one-offs. They're not, like we had enough of a sample size to say it's, it's more than just an anomaly. This is the way that this team now plays and the way that they play should, should make them prime for a deep playoff run. Yeah, and two weeks ago after the trade deadline, um, I think I overreacted a little bit seeing Cleveland beating Boston by 30 points, but I think they've kind of got off their emotional high and they're kind of playing like they did before again where it's you don't see much of an improvement. And, you know, the problem with Cleveland is not their offense. The problem with Cleveland is the fact that only the Phoenix Suns are giving up more, only the Phoenix Suns and New Orleans Pelicans, sorry, are giving up more points per game than them this year. And I know you have LeBron and I know he's great, but he's already playing like 36 to 38 minutes a game. Like how much better can this guy possibly play in the playoffs? Like he's going to need Kevin Love healthy. There's a lot of question marks there. And I still am hesitant to pick against LeBron because I've done this in the past. And then suddenly he actually does just get 10 times better in the playoffs and it makes no sense, but he just does it. But I think this is the first year that he hasn't had legitimate help in his entire career. Um, you look at those past Miami teams, obviously the super teams with a prime Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You look at Kyrie Irving, who is uh, literally the reason the Celtics are in second place. And he doesn't have a complimentary piece anymore. And it's just a lot of pressure and a lot of mileage on his legs this season. Although he did say last night he's like a fine wine. He just ages and just gets better and better. Hey, so is Kobe. And look what happened there. That is true. But... LeBron just makes everyone around him better. You look at Larry Nance, is suddenly a double-double machine in Cleveland. But I don't know. The Raptors are just playing such good basketball. They're the type of team now where they're losing by 10 to 15 points at halftime against an inferior opponent, and I'm still expecting them just to come back and win. And they have a very Golden State vibe to me where this team can score like 115 to 120 points against anyone. They're never out of any game. They have so many weapons that they can beat you with. They can close with so many different lineups. And when you have 12 guys, when you have Norm Powell, who's not good enough to crack a rotation most nights, except when Ananobi's injured, that's when you know you have good depth because Norm Powell is a guy who was, I was actually very high on this year. He proved that he can play in the playoffs at many points. So this Raptors team is so deep and they have so many lineup combinations that they're able to use that uh, I know you mentioned, Cam, that the starting five have to close out well, but this team can close with their bench sometimes with just DeRozan and Lowry, and it, and it works. So, But I also think that that is a product partly of the regular season um, and the fact that teams aren't game planning anywhere near as much for specifically you on a night-to-night basis. That's true, but um, I guess like, when these good teams face each other, when Toronto's beating Houston on Friday, when they play Golden State, uh, they, these games have tended to have a playoff-type feel, and the Raptors have been in every game with every good team, and they've been winning most of them recently. And I think in the playoffs that, uh, Thomas, I know you mentioned you're worried about DeRozan going back to those long twos, and it scares me as well because I've seen it way too many times. But I think in the first round, given the fact that we're Toronto's probably going to be in the one seed, I think that they're going to stay playing the way they have the whole year, playing against an 8C team and kind of sticking to the process and seeing that it can work in the playoffs. And I think they're going to build on that in the later rounds. And I, I really hope that they make the finals. And I really hope that I can, that someone listening can go back to my old podcast or all, our old podcast and just say, wow, you picked Cleveland after one game. And, and then they can say, oh, wow, Thomas was right. Um, this is just a, a little bit of a buffer to your point, actually, Thomas. Um, 
just I looked up the stats quickly on DeRozan shooting from certain distances, um, and he has more than a hundred fewer shots from in between 16 feet to the three-point line this year than he did last year and obviously the season's not done but that's a huge difference and he's shooting 43 percent on those shots this year versus 38 percent last year so exactly if he if he goes back to that there's no chance but he if he keeps getting to the rim like he is now like he's gotten to the rim already as much as he did last season and they still have you know 20 games to play so right. I think that ex- if 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 DeRozan can keep getting to the rim, then they have a much better chance. If he does start just throwing up those mid ranges again, because at least this year too, he's also picked up his three point shooting. Not much, but he's already shot twice as many threes this year as he did all of last year, and he's shooting more than ten percent better, or like seven percent better. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly made big strides in that area as well, and even just. Being able to take that extra step out to the three-point line gives him the extra threat to get to the rim. I also think that just a quick mention about DeRozan before we like move on to the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff picture is that the uh, the the fear of long twos is a purely psychological and intangible one. Like it's you can't measure his mindset um, when when it comes playoff time. Like you can't really. There's no stat that'll be able to tell you that. And I know it sounds very old school sports fan of me of it's all that matters is heart and passion. But like at the end of the day, if DeRozan is in the playoffs and he gets nervous, he's probably going to revert back to his old ways, which is taking inefficient long twos. But if he's able to play the way he's been playing all regular season, and there's no reason to believe he wouldn't be able to, it's just like a nervous back of the mind thought that every Raptors fan has. I don't think they should have any problems. I think that they can make it to the Eastern Conference Final. I think that there's a couple... Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a very few scenarios in which I don't envision them having success in the playoffs. And the biggest one of that is either Lowry not playing well or DeRozan just reverting back to his old ways. But I will actually move on to the Eastern Conference playoff, to the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff picture because we can't spend 20 minutes talking about the Raptors. Um, Celtics, Pacers, uh, Cavaliers, Wizards, 76ers, Bucks, and Heat. I think it's more or less locked in. I believe it's more or less pretty, those eight teams are six games out. Yeah, six I mean, games out. I don't think five and a half. To. Sorry, but and it's yeah. the Pistons and the Hornets. I don't think either yeah. of those teams are really going to make any yeah. kind of noise. So, so let's talk about who, what matchups we want to see. As if the playoffs ended right now, or if the playoffs started right now. Sorry, Raptors would be playing Heat, Celtics and Bucks, Pacers and Sixers, and then Cavs and Wizards. There's two series in there that I really want to see. Uh, Cavs and Wizards, and then Celtics and Bucks. Those are two series that would be incredibly fun basketball to watch. I kind of want to get everyone else's take on what matchups they want to see in particular, If not necessarily from a fan perspective, but just from a pure entertainment perspective, which storyline or which series you guys want to see. So I'll just open the floor. Whoever wants to take it and give us an answer on which of their, which of their favorite potential matchups is there, go ahead. I want Cavs Sixers. That's what I want as a first round matchup. I don't. I know. I know you'd be stressing the whole time. And, I just don't. But like your team's actually going to make the playoffs, man. So like you can't complain that much. It's a great sentence. Um, no, I think uh, the the combination of Philly's youth and just Cavs' lack of ability to play anything resembling defense uh, would make for a pretty entertaining entertaining series. It'd be interesting to see uh, when faced with uh, some going up against a player like Embiid, uh, how how the interior play from the Cavs respond. Like, how does Lance look going against Embiid? How does Kevin Love going against Embiid? Like, 
I don't think that really pans out too well for Cleveland. This will be a pretty big test of, of just how hard LeBron can carry them this year. Uh, none of the other ones strike me as super, super entertaining, really. Um, you got you got anything more? You got some, of course you do. Yeah, I always have something. Um, I actually, not as a Raptors fan, but as an NBA fan, I would enjoy watching Raptors Bucks and. We've seen a lot of crazy storylines go on in those games. We've seen a couple go into overtime, and we saw DeRozan set the franchise mark, but uh, it would be a good rematch of last year, uh, and that series was very close and exciting last year, and I think it would be a good test uh, to see uh, the differences in the Raptors, to see uh, how they approach the series differently, and I think that would just be a really fun series to watch, and any series with Giannis would be fun, and it would also be fun to watch him play the Celtics because I don't think they have anyone who can really slow him down like the Raptors do. They don't have anyone with length. They're small, they're undersized, and they have very little rim protection besides the 10 minutes of Aaron Baines that we're uh, unfortunately forced to watch every single night. So I think that would be a good one. Uh, Celtics also don't have a roster right now. The whole team's injured. That's true. They're they're saving up for playoffs. But I think the one I want to see actually is what you said, Cleveland 76ers. And if LeBron were to lose to Philadelphia, and then jump ship and pull a Kevin oh, Durant. Oh, How geez. funny would that be? <laughs> we would need a whole separate podcast for that. Um, I, I would I would agree on the the Celtics Bucks actually, um, mostly for the same reasons. I I would love to be able to see how Brad Stevens would handle Giannis with nothing to handle Giannis. I think he'd figure it out. He's just Brad Stevens. Well, exactly, but that's what that's what I want to see. Yeah. It's the how that's the interesting. Yeah. Um, and even uh, Cavs Wizards, I think, would be good if it stayed the way that it is. Um, just because I would like to see, you know, the Cavs have taken care of the Wizards pretty easily, um, but I would like to see the Bradley Beal led Wizards. Yeah, is John Wall not coming back? Is that a thing? He'll he'll be back, but like, is John Wall John Wall? Exactly. Like, is he and, going to be back? Like, he'll he, physically be there, but I don't know if he'll be as good as he is. And can he exactly? Can he be the guy again who's jumping on the table after? Sorry, was that a game game six? six. It was a game, game six, six win. win yeah. After you when then you went to lose game seven. Gotcha. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I I have yet to to see anything in the playoffs that would lead me to trust John Wall in that situation. Um, but I think that it would be a fun series nonetheless because he does battle. We watched Sixers Pacers, and I would not mind a seven game series of that either. Because mm-hmm. I was going to mention that as well. If yeah. it if it stayed if it stayed, if it the, stayed same, the way, yeah. Because I would love to just see Oladipo going at Embiid and Simmons for six or seven games. Yeah, it'd be really fun because to watch. I, I definitely think that that would be a deep series. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just kind of Miami. Is there any Miami like interest here? Is there? I guess Warren has something on Miami because again, Warren always has something. Yep. Uh, how about the James Johnson revenge tour in Toronto? That'd be a fun storyline. Would it though? Yes, it a fun storyline for four games until the storyline's over. Exactly why it would be fun. But he'd def- <laughs> definitely have one cool dunk, and it would make me happy. And I'd say, oh, we should have kept him, and then we'd still sweep him anyway. Uh, but the last series I'd want to see is. Um, uh, Boston Wizards, so we could have the Morris twins face off against each other. I just think that would be really funny. Someone's and, getting arrested. Yeah. Game three, they trade jerseys just for fun to see if anyone <laughs> notices. <laughs> that would be a good series. But, yeah, it's all I got. It was a quick Warren segment. Yeah, and um, I think that just the East is fun. 
in like a kind of like you're punching a kid on the shoulder like ah you're fun but and the the west is like genuinely like a bloodbath and then you look over to the east and everyone's like i wouldn't mind playing the sixers it's like whatever um we're gonna move on now to the even more interesting part of the nba standings which is the tank bottom. wars <laughs> tank wars so memphis you done really lost a, a lot of games in a row. Is it? I don't think it's a war, really. I mean, I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies have eighteen wins. The Suns have nineteen. They're bad. The Hawks have twenty. But the Suns seem like they're still trying. They and, are. Which and is Booker can go off any night and win a game for them. I feel like he's he has that Kobe mentality where he's not just gonna lie down. Um, and yeah, they've lost six in a row, but they haven't lost eighteen in a row. Yeah, that's fair. And. I mean, yeah, those those games haven't really been close either. But I still feel like they're a team that's that's gonna give more of an effort down the stretch. Whereas the Grizzlies are so injury riddled that I just I I, I don't I don't see yeah, they also, they also just them suck. in the tank war. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they just like, suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, if the season again were to end today, following on this theme of the season ending today. And there would be if there would be no stupid draft lottery. Grizzlies would have the number one pick. Suns would have the two pick. Magic would have the three pick. Uh, Hawks four, and then the Kings in their favorite spot, the fifth pick. Um, I kind of would not want to see Luka Doncic play on Memphis, but I also really would not mind seeing a dominant big like DeAndre Ayton playing as a center with Devin Booker, uh, Jackson, TJ Warren, and all the other fun pieces that the Suns have. And I kind of want to go off a little bit about the Suns and that I genuinely believe that they could make a trade up to another top pick. And probably in that 6 to 10 range, I think that maybe Charlotte would be one willing to move down. I wouldn't even think that the the Cavs would mind moving down and getting more uh, young pieces. The Suns, as of right now, own the 15th pick and the 16th pick via trade. They also have Miami's top, no, Miami's unprotected 2021 first, I believe, and another first-round pick, another future first-round pick. So that's a lot of draft picks, and they've got a couple of nice players. Dragon Bender is probably like worth something to someone. Uh, if they trade T.J. Warren, I don't know what I would do, but like he could, I guess, technically be an asset. Uh, same with um, Marquise Chris. So they have a lot of young pieces on their team, and. Yes, they're going to get another top three pick, and yes, it's very disappointing that a team that has had so many opportunities to rebuild is still stuck. But I genuinely believe that they have a good, a decent young core now with Booker, Jackson, Warren, and that they will finally be able to continuously add more young pieces and potentially even move up back into the top ten to get two like high-end pieces. Really excited to see what the Magic do because I know that it's going to be bad. I, I feel like they're going to take yeah, what they're going to take do? Trey Young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to take Trey Young at three and be like, he's our point guard of the future. Him and Mario Hazonia. And it's like, ah. Has, yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know. The Kings is going to be fun to watch. I'm not used to seeing the Hawks here. We're not used to seeing the Hawks in a high draft position. I'm kind of excited. I think the last really high pick they had was Al Horford. Was that the last really, really high pick that they had? So, yeah, there's the tank wars are fun, I'm saying. The tank wars are really fun. And um, I'm just kind of curious as to see, like, which – Lottery winning scenarios, perhaps you guys would want to see or not see. Uh, I'd be interested forward. in that Suns one, um, the the trading up, just because I think that I believe they also have a good amount of uh, cap space do, coming yeah. up in the summer, and so you know, with that much space, with a strong class, and I think if you move up, you you 
can sell Phoenix very easily to free agents. I mean, the weather is sells itself. Mm -hmm. Booker is one of the best young players in the league, in my opinion. The the guy's still only 21. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. And... Also, they have all the young talent that you just mentioned. Jackson, of course, Jackson. they might have to. They have Jackson as He's well. He's so good. And, of course, they're going to have to leverage some of that if they want to trade up. But the fact that they already have two picks in the mid-teens to trade up, I, I think that it would be a great move for them to do, um, especially with how strong this class is. And I think that if if they did that, they uh, they would definitely be – a place free agents should look at free agent stars should look at. Yeah. And just to kind of add on to that, um, they've been kind of given Booker free reign to run the offense. I don't know if anyone has been like closely paying attention to the, the Suns, but Booker has been running a lot of pick and rolls and he's been ball handling more than he had been. And with Alfred Payton there now, I don't want to declare him the point guard of the future because that's a very weird sentence to say out loud. But like he's not, he hasn't been bad. Like he, like they got him for a second round pick. They're probably going to end up re-signing him in the summer for cheap. So he's at the very least a placeholder. And if they were to win the lottery and get Donkic, he's going to be a, like their ball handler, their main ball handler. Booker and Donkic is just just sounds like an incredibly incredibly fun time. But also, I still think that DeAndre and he well, he grew up in the area. He goes to school in Arizona. He's a seven footer. He's part of the up and coming species of unicorn big men that are just like really good at everything. Uh, even even Bagley, Marvin Bagley from Duke, he's also from the area. So if they want to kind of go, I don't want to say off the board because he's still projected as a top five pick. But like Aiton is the obvious guy. But if they really like Bagley, they could still like sell him being a really good piece and a really good player on this team. I'm just really afraid that they t- they trade TJ Warren. I love TJ Warren. I do not want them to trade TJ Warren. But it kind of does seem like a Sunsy thing to do. Uh, I want to talk about the Kings. Can we talk about the Kings? Is that socially acceptable to talk about the Kings. They have another top five pick this year. They have the fifth pick somehow. There's four teams worse than them. But right now, they're projected at the fifth slot. Michael Porter Jr. is on the board. Muhammad Bamba is a big man on the board. Colin Sexton from uh, Alabama has been putting up ridiculous offensive numbers there. Trey Young is like a video game character. There's just a lot of like... uh, There's a lot of people here that are interesting, but a lot of people who also go to Sacramento and then it's a really funny movie to watch because it'll just be a disaster. So does anyone have a take on Sacramento apart from me and how disastrous they are? I think that's the only take you can have for Sacramento. There's just, there's no, no track record, no precedence of them doing right things since the, like the Bibby era Mm -hmm. Kings. Like that's, that's the last, that's how far back you have to go for them to have any kind of real relevance in the league other than being something that you can laugh at. And also I think all of this about who's going to, take who and whatever it's it's all nice hypotheticals but we all know that deandre ayton's going to be wearing a spurs uniform next year (laughs) after we win the lottery so it really doesn't matter who the kings pick at that point i think the problem is or i think the the easy pick is that it's going to be trey young going to sacramento because sacramento has failed numerous times in predicting the next steph curry so why not try again vlade just keep trying keep honestly if if you can find somewhere to bet on where Trey Young gets drafted. This this is I I wouldn't necessarily put it on the betting segment, but I can definitely see literally exactly that happening. I would agree with you guys, but the Magic are picking ahead of them right now and I think that that's an Orlando move. 
I think that they take Trey Young. They but if love they, him. I, but if they take him at four, they'll get they'll do killed. It. It's, they don't care. It's Orlando. <laughs> they've already they've made so many bad decisions in the last like eighteen months. They could build a roster out of the people they traded away, and it would probably be a really good team. Be better than their current roster. Yeah, exactly. Like Oladipo's an all star. Uh, they traded away Saric. They don't really give. They don't care about making the wrong decision. I one hundred percent see them having the third or fourth pick and then just taking Trey Young and declaring him the point guard of the future. Um, I do kind of want to mention two things. First off, the Sixers will have most likely the Lakers pick unless ping pong balls make the Lakers win the number one pick overall or in the two or third pick overall because the trade is if the pick falls between two and six, it goes to the Celtics. If it go, if it's one to NF one, but then seven to 14, it falls to the Sixers. And right now it's the 12th pick. They have the 12th and 18th pick. I wouldn't mind seeing them move up. I think that they have enough draft capital and enough assets that like now with playoff experience, they can move up and get another wing or another backup big. And next is the, um, the Cavs. And they've gotten a lot of lottery luck. And if they get more lottery luck this year and they get either Aiton or Luka Doncic, I mean, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably throw something. But right now they got the sixth pick from Brooklyn who got eliminated from playoff contention yesterday. But I don't know. I kind of I want to see what happens with that pick. If they win the lottery, I'll be done. Would Luka like, Doncic keep LeBron in Cleveland? He'd trade him like he did with I mean, I think he'd trade him. I think he'd go after Davis or something. Maybe even Kawhi. I wouldn't be surprised. You take that back. <laughs> Would you be mad at that though, Kawhi, who doesn't want to be there for another year before free agency? You get he, Donkic out of it. That's he he wants to retire as a spur. <laughs> throw that out there. But that is an interesting question. Like, does it convince him to stay if they get Luka Donkic? That's well, not really something. regardless. But yeah, that would that would probably be a if you get a good young player like that. Obviously, it's going to be something that oh yeah, this makes my team better. I'm more inclined to stay there as opposed mm-hmm. to right now when. You have Jordan Clarkson. Like, yeah, I'm they're also very fair. So, I think we're done with the tank segment as of right now. Oh, that's so that's so weird. San Antonio Spurs projected pick number thirteen. That's just weird. That's just weird to say that out loud. Uh, are we going to move into betting? Is that the uh, time to move into betting? So we will pass the mics off to Cam and Warren. Me and Thomas are going to go play tic tac toe or something. Take it away, boys. Good luck in your tic tac toe game. Okay, um, I'm going to start off with. Uh, DraftKings picks and Cam, what are you going to be covering today? Uh, I'm going to give two two tournament picks, a couple tournament winners. Okay, sounds good. I will be listening close to that because I'm not nearly as prepared as I should be with that to starting tomorrow. Okay, so two DraftKings picks tonight. I'm going to give one high end player and one middle tier guy. And the first one, I think, is someone you're going to have to have in your lineups. Uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green are all expected to miss tonight's game at home against the Lakers. And in that situation, Kevin Durant has literally a 43% usage rate. He has more points than minutes played. He has the highest assist rate on the team in that uh, scenario and by far the most rebounds. So he is just going to be a freak of nature tonight. Just play him on your roster. He's not that expensive for what he is going to be doing. And one low-tier guy, I'm actually going to stick with this game. I think it's going to be a really fun, high-scoring game, and I think you're going to want exposure to it. And I'm actually going to pick... Uh, Isaiah Thomas he's been playing great basketball he's still cheaper than he should be 
And he's priced for a matchup where he's facing Clay Thompson lockdown defense or Steph Curry. Not that his defense is great, but he's priced for a matchup where he's facing an elite defense. And when in reality, he's facing uh, the backups for Golden State. So I think Isaiah Thomas has a chance to score 25 real points tonight. And uh, that's all I've got. But as always, you can message me on Twitter if you have any questions or want some insight on your picks. And uh, we'll move it over to Cam. All right, so I have a couple uh, a couple March Madness tournament winner picks. Uh, first one is going to be uh, a team that we've all heard about a lot in class, <laughs> uh, the Michigan Wolverines. Um, Michigan is is absolutely on fire right now. Uh, I don't know if if the listeners have heard, but they did just win the Big Ten championship, um, and they have won eleven in a row. 10 in a row. Nine in a row, excuse me. <laughs> we got it. Nine games in a row, including that tournament sweep. Uh, they beat Purdue in the tournament final by nine. Purdue's coming in to the tournament as um, a very heavily favored team. Uh, Michigan, you're going to get it plus 1,600 right now, so that's 16 to 1 odds. Uh, for a three seed, that's really not that bad value-wise considering how hot they've been. Um, if you're looking to stretch it a little bit more and get some more value, uh, I would also recommend Kentucky at 25 to one. Um, again, it's another team that's that's getting hot at the right time, and that's a huge thing in March Madness. Uh, Kentucky's won seven of their last eight, including um, winning the SEC championship, and they they beat Tennessee by five in that title game. And uh, Tennessee is obviously a a two seed, so. Definitely look for Kentucky if you're looking for a value play because you know, throw down fifty bucks on them and make twelve hundred wouldn't be wouldn't be too shabby. I'd like fifty bucks, not the twelve hundred. <laughs> I would like the fifty dollars. Um, um, is that it? Are we? Yeah, no. That that's a, that's what I got for the betting. Warren's got a little something something for us just to wrap it up. Classic Warren. Okay, one last thing is that Kyle Kuzma hurt his ankle last night. He came back and played, but he seemed hobbled. So keep that in mind. That's another reason why I like Thomas and. Uh, if there's no news of him playing, do not risk him as dominant as he, at his, as he's been. You can't sw- switch him out. So don't play Kyle Kuzma tonight. It's too risky. All right. So that's it. That is episode four of the Lunchtime Layup podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Once again, any constructive criticism. It is appreciated. Are we going to make an announcement about the uh the website or do you next week next week all right we have some things coming out we have a lot of stuff planned out and an entire platform that'll be just for us really exciting stuff as we mentioned last week we do have uh more plans in the work for more content coming out uh, rather quickly but as of right now you'll have to (laughs) settle with the uh, itunes and uh, soundcloud link actually we should be mentioning that we are on all uh, podcast platforms, right? Yeah, all podcast platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Play Music as well right now. So, lunchtime layup. Hit us with Check a five us star. Yeah, five hit star us with rating, a five star rating. Five star rating, reviews, everything. Yeah, it I'll all look, helps. Yeah, helps those those analytics <laughs> algorithms. Anyways, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next week.